Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Lost Tribe, The Traveler. I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. This week I'll be reading chapters 14, 15, and 16. I am joined this week by my friend Taylor Cronk, who you may have heard during the promo. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe and share. It is the life's blood of podcasting. If you want copies of the books, they are available on Amazon in both hard copy and digital for e-readers and such. Thanks again for tuning in and let's get on with this week's episode. Chapter 14 The airship went through the portal I created, and we entered the arid rocky plain where the stranger had set up camp. It was nighttime here. Instead of a small patch of grass and a table, there was now a small campfire with a pot boiling on it suspended on a chain held up by a tripod of iron bars. The stranger tended the fire, poking it with a stick while he stared into the flames. He was alone. I looked around as we approached the site in the airship, but I couldn't see anyone else. Where the hell is Casey? I figured that she'd be back first, especially considering how much of a mess I got into chasing after Henry and Takum. I pointed at the campsite. Put it down over there, Henry. Henry pulled a lever, and the airship's furnace grew dimmer. Takum steered the ship towards the site. I saw him grimace as he turned the wheel, the wound on his chest causing him no small amount of pain. I'd volunteered to take the wheel before we left, but he declined. After all this, I believed he trusted me, but I also knew that a strong, powerful guy like Takum didn't want to show how much pain he was in or let that pain slow him down. I admired his determination. I went around the ship, lifting out the anchors as Henry had instructed me, kicking them out over the side to assist the ship in its descent. In a few moments, we were anchored to the ground, and hung a few meters above it. I tossed the rope I had climbed up onto the deck with over the side, and rappelled down onto the ground. Henry and Dacoum quickly followed. The stranger stood up as we approached. Oh, wait just one moment here, Mick, Henry said, stopping dead as we drew closer. Uh, that's the same guy that chased me clear across three worlds when I began my journey. I think it is only fair to mention that I shot him with the lightning weapon as well. D do you think he holds a grudge? Do you? Well, <laughs> where I don't especially applaud his earlier efforts and attitude towards us, I have to admit that I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of getting us together to take on the kingdom. Then I guess we're the same on that account, Henry. The stranger and I have a history too. Takum, what about you? Takum was standing very still, regarding the stranger and flexing his hands. Ooh, I take it that you still have some reservations. Henry stepped over and put a hand on Takum's shoulder. How about we give it a shot, huh? And save an unholy beating for him if things don't work out? Fair enough? Takum nodded, and we closed the distance to the campsite. This was going well. Greetings, gentlemen, the stranger said, opening his hands. I have laid out a meal for us if you are hungry. Takum and Henry sat down. I walked up to the stranger and grabbed hold of his chain shirt. It seems we're missing someone. Where the hell is Casey? He shrugged my hand off and pulled a piece of folded paper from his sleeve. Here, he said, holding the paper out at me. She told me to give you this in case she did not return before you. I snapped the paper up and looked back at him. Why don't you just go find her and pull her back here? I cannot. Such actions would be noticed, and I am having a difficult time concealing myself as it is. You brought us here! His eyes flared with white, iridescent power. My power is not without limits. I cannot do what you ask. Fine. You fill Henry and Dacum in on what's going on. It'll make a nice campfire tale. 
Where are you going? Henry asked, coming over. One of us is missing. She went to retrieve another of our people, but now she's late. Want some help? I considered Henry's offer, but I rejected it. If Casey was indeed in the kind of trouble that she couldn't get out of, it would be stupid for more of us to try and fall into the same trap. But, you know, I was just the right kind of stupid. It's it's okay, Henry, I replied. You and Takuma charge here. I'll go find her and bring her back. Known each other long? Henry asked. Long enough. She saved my life. Ah, all right, okay, I get that. I'm going to go fix up Takum. Mick, do you think the kingdom will be there, honestly? Oh, probably. They're on the hunt for us all, and I can't imagine anything else delaying Casey. Uh, okay. They're doing the favor of kicking Lethia's ass if you see her. Nobody does that to my man. Nobody. I looked up at him. It's a lonely, bloody universe, and I know a good soul when I see one. He walked back to sit by the campfire, pulling a large gauze bandage out of one of his pockets. When you are ready, I will send you to where she went, the stranger said, quietly standing behind me. I nodded at him and moved away from the camp to get a better look at the letter. I dug out an antique lighter that I'd acquired along the way, and had a look at the note in the light of its tiny flame. Mick, the stranger is sending me to a world that sounds pretty damn civilized. If it's anything like the one where we snatched you from, then there could be some real trouble. He says that the one I'm supposed to bring back is plenty dangerous himself. So I don't know what to expect. <laughs> Ain't he a peach? The stranger, I mean. Now, I don't want you thinking that you have to come charging to my rescue or anything like that. At least not swinging a damn sword, anyway. If you get back before me, or you get back before the sun set here, then something's gone wrong. I left something for you in my pack by the camp. It's rolled up in tied in rawhide. Read it, Mick. Go modern for once. Hope I see you soon. Casey. I stuck the letter in my coat and went over to the camp. I found Casey's pack and opened it up. There was a box of shells inside, a pair of worn leather gloves, some miscellaneous personal effects, and what looked like some book rolled up and tied with a rawhide string. I put the pack back down, taking out the book as I did so, drawing curious stares from others who seemed to be deep in discussion otherwise. I untied the string and sat down by the fire to have a look at the book. In bold white letters across the glossy cover it said, Soldier of Fortune and featured a menacing young man in camouflage paint holding a rather large rifle in a practice drill fashion. I smirked and began reading. Casey had put black stars beside a few pictures inside. I took the hint. After a few moments, I rolled up the book and stuck it inside my coat. <laughs> good, good book? Henry asked behind a plume of smoke. Very, I said, rising and joining them. Are you ready, Mick? The stranger inquired, standing to address me. Yeah, I said, let's get this rescue underway. Don't wait up. The stranger turned to face me and waved his hand. The rushing began, and I was gone. Chapter 15 I arrived in some kind of community park, near a bench, where a young couple were very quietly sitting. There were lights stuck overhead on ornate poles, pleasantly illuminating the brick pathways that led through the park in all directions. I couldn't see anyone else moving around, but saw that a few people were lying face down in the grass. A number of them splayed across a piece of equipment in the children's area. One man hung from his legs in the monkey bars, and a woman close to him was suspended, folded, over one of the uprights. Oh, this was all wrong. I turned to examine the young couple and found they were dead, too, badly gnawed on by some kind of animal. 
I figured something was going on since they didn't seem to be racked to the portal or to my sudden appearance. I looked around more and found there were easily dozens of people dead in the park. A scream interrupted my investigation, and I looked to see where it had come from. As I watched, a young blonde woman, her dress bloodied and her shoes lost somewhere, came flying out of the darkness towards me, her face a picture of fear. Help me! Please help me! I felt large, thumping impacts as something huge started clomping its way towards us through the darkness. I grabbed the girl and dashed behind the park bench where the dead couple sat. We hid ourselves just in time as a powerful, giant form loomed up out of the darkness to stride into the play area. My eyebrows felt like they met my hairline when I saw the thing under the light of the lamp. It was over eight feet tall and had a hunched head that looked like a giant egg in front of it and its body was mostly covered in wiry fur. A huge overcoat, which looked like it had been stitched from a few overcoats, was draped across its shoulders. A pair of white shining eyes beamed out from a fro of brows that looked around. Even underneath the coat, I could see the muscles of its arms bulge as it twisted and turned, sniffing the air with a pair of giant nostrils. Where'd you go, girlie? Old Georgie's not done playing yet. Mother says I can't go home till I play with all years. Huh? I expected growls. Apparently, Georgie could talk. I had a good idea who Mother was. I recognized the handiwork. I can smell you, girl. Come out and let's finish this. I ain't good all night. I sighed, thinking how much being the good guy in all this kind of sucks sometimes, and I stepped out from behind the bench. I made a small gesture to the girl to get the hell away. Neither do I, Georgie, I said, pulling out my sword. Let's make this quick. Georgie laughed and scratched at his nose. Well, a plaything with a pig sticker. That makes this evening even better. What's your name, old son, so I can laugh about it later with the boys? Mick. His smile faded and he squinted at me through the gloom. I know who you is, I know. Mother's gonna be so happy when I bring you all broken and bloody back to the castle. Oh, we'll see about that, Georgie. He rushed in at me, roaring and stomping. He threw a titanic fist at me, but I ducked and swept under him, landing a cut across his forearm. I followed through and ended up on his flank, bringing my sword to bear as he twisted around to follow where I had gone. He grinned at the cut I had given him and pulled a plank off a bench. A whole plank. He thumped it in one hand and swung it at me. I ducked again, and the plank careened off the lamppost. I tried to take advantage of his overswing, but he was ready for me this time and booted at me in the chest. I gasped as the air was knocked out of me by the impact of his huge foot, and I stumbled against the lamp. He moved in. I summoned my will and stole his overcoat from him. He looked at me in confusion. Hey! Come get it, Georgie. He raised the plank in the air and charged. Having the pull between us made his swing awkward, and he missed me. I responded by throwing his overcoat over his head as he passed. I used my power to take his plank away from him, too, as he stumbled around trying to get the overcoat off. I sheathed my sword quickly and seized the plank with both hands. He nearly bunted into me as he struggled, waving his arms and blubbering. I stepped back and swung the plank with as much force as I could muster. I felt the piece of wood shudder and crack as it went up against Georgie's great melon. He hung there, still standing. I made to swing again, but then he collapsed to the ground with a heavy thud. I could see a dark spot of blood coming through the overcoat where it was wrapped around his head. I didn't think I hit him that hard. Puzzled, I had a closer look at the plank and found that Georgie had pulled off the steel bolts with it when he took it off the bench. Yikes. I tossed the piece of plank to the ground and felt Georgie's pulse. He was growing weaker by the moment. He'd be dead soon. I stepped away from the dying brute. I can't believe you did that. 
the girl said, stepping out from behind the bench. I thought I told you to run. But they're everywhere. Uh, not more like him, I hope. No, wolves with green eyes. They just popped in out of nowhere downtown. And they're killing everyone. Wolves? Men? Wolves on two legs? I don't know. Their eyes glow, not like animals, but like a street light. They are more of flesh's creations, no doubt. Lethia's people were getting very busy. How the hell did they know where to go? The stranger was sending us at our targets, but who was directing them? You should go now, for real this time. Just point me in the direction of the danger. You're kidding, right? No, I said, hooking my thumb over my shoulder where Georgie fell. Where are they? She pointed in the direction of one of the entrances, marked by a set of twin pillars. Now that she'd pointed out, I could see smoke drifting up from the streets down that way, and there was some kind of commotion. Thanks, I said, getting up and walking down the path. She moved to keep on fleeing. Sure, she said. You must be pretty dumb or pretty brave to walk into that. I'd like to think it's more of the second than the first, but it could be more of the first that makes me think so, I said, waving goodbye as she took off. I walked as far as the gates and stopped. I took out the book and opened it up to the pages I'd cornered while reading, and concentrated on the pictures of the guns Casey selected, drawing my will to bring them to me. I also worked on ammo in a decent holster. I disliked the idea of gunning my enemies down, but I also saw the wisdom in not going toe-to-toe -to -toe with something that, you know, with well-developed canines and a hunger for raw meat. In a few moments, I had everything I needed. I had followed the instructions in the book about how to load the guns, and even figured out something called a safety on each gun. I had one slung at my hip, one under my arm, and I had in my hands a shotgun with big, fat shells. I put my finger on both triggers and began to walk down the street. It was chaos. I watched people run through billing with smoke, tripping over each other, and colliding with parked cars in their mad dash to get away from whatever was at the heart of this whole mess. I drew close to a police car that was on fire, and saw that two officers were collapsed inside the vehicle, torn apart and crumpled. I wonder if the children got to them, too. Either way, it was a shitty way to go. I peered through the smoke, but still couldn't see much. I decided to edge my way along one of the buildings until I got close. I tore a rag off one of the corpses and used it to cover my mouth and my nose. My eyes were already watering from the smoke, and I figured that dying from smoke inhalation was not terribly heroic. I managed to get close enough to jump over a gate that led onto the patio of some restaurant. A few people were huddled in a corner and looked at me with eyes full of panic and fear. I kept the shotgun trained on them as I made my way through the patio entrance on the other side of the street where they didn't seem to be so much smoke. I didn't want to shoot anyone unless I had to. I crouched and leaned inside the gate. Casey! I whispered as loudly as I dared. I waited. There was no response. The sounds of screaming and destruction were increasing as I crouched there. I ditched the rag and got up from my position to move out onto the street. My hand virtually itched from the temptation to draw my sword. The gun felt all wrong. I held it in both hands, making my way forward to get a clearer view of what was going on. The smoke was nearly gone on this side, and it looked like a scene straight out of hell. Bodies of men and women were lay strewn all over the place in various positions of slaughter. Bodies of men and women lay strewn all over the place in various positions of slaughter. Most of them looked as if they were completely caught awares, going about their business, maybe going on a date, or just getting off work. It must have been a shocking sight for them when the minions of the kingdom came to town. Where I appeared was to be in some kind of city square. There were trees growing into planned intervals and concrete planters for the smokers. Steps descended on either side of the square to focus it all in the middle, for music or speeches or whatever might have been deemed important. Now, from nearly a hundred feet away, it was the center of an abattoir.
The wolf-like creatures were piling in from all sides against a single person who stood in the middle of it all. I couldn't get a clear view of whoever it was. But they were holding back the tide of the monster single-handedly. There were flashes of silver light and ghostly hues in the center where the fighting was thickest. I tried to count the number of monsters being thrown at the person in the center, but I couldn't keep track. So many! I could see by the piles of wolf corpses here and there that it had been a hard fight to contain the mystery warrior. They were all beheaded, disemboweled, or otherwise maimed with precise cuts. I looked down at my shotgun and chuckled. I looked up again, and two of the beasts had broken off to take a run at me. Their eyes were the same green as one of us. What was going on? I pulled the trigger, aiming the gun vaguely in the direction of my foes. The first one exploded behind a shower of smoke and sparks that fired from my shotgun. I nearly lost my grip and stumbled back with a recoil. The acrid smell of smoke burned my nostrils, and I moved to try and redress myself for the next one. It leapt up in the air, clearing nearly a man's height before landing on my chest. I tried to get a shot off, but the gun was kicked from my grip as he landed, and I went stumbling. I managed to arrest my fall and pulled the handgun, a large revolver, from where it was holstered on my hip. The beast lunged at me again. This time I was ready for him, and I blazed wildly with the handgun. I was sure I missed a few shots, but some of them struck true, and the monster collapsed onto its back and fell still. I holstered the revolver and decided to learn from my lesson. I moved away from the periphery of the chaos and hunkered down behind a planter. I took a moment to start loading the revolver and just about dropped the whole business when a pair of arms wrapped around my shoulders from behind. I panicked and swung the revolver around to face whoever it was that had me in their grip. Aw, you're so cute when you try to kill somebody, Casey said, kissing me on the cheek. Cheeky. I grabbed her in my arms and pulled her over onto the ground. I pointed my revolver at her. I have the drop on you now. I had it on you before. I win. I switched the revolver to my left hand and helped her up. I could have blown your head off, you know. Well, if your shooting's consistent, I got nothing to worry about. I heard the shotgun go off and came running, but you'd already hosed the other one off of that revolver. That was eight shots, Mick, and you hit it three times. Yeah, I know I'm not as good as you with these, I said, patting the revolver. But I'm getting there. Fair enough. She said, pulling one of her pistols and opening up the chamber. Got more rounds? I dug out the little pouch of ammo from my coat and handed it to her. She rummaged through, checking the bullets until she had a handful. She passed the pouch back and reloaded her gun. I looked up from where we were sitting, hoping to catch a glimpse of the battle. The wolves were now encircling their opponent, and it was too thick to clearly see the person at the center. Every few seconds, though, another wolf went down for something too fast to see. The corpses were knee-deep now, and still more were coming. What the hell happened here, Casey? Casey moved over to where I was watching the battle, taking a position with her pistol, covering everything that could come at us. I found our friend, but things got bad kind of quick. I could see that. I got here and found him sitting in the middle of that square, surrounded by security guys with radios. He doesn't say much. In fact, he says nothing at all. He saw my eyes and just nodded as if he expected me. What was with the security? He's come armed? And armored. It was really exotic stuff, not like the stranger's medieval getup. It was really sharp-looking sword, too. He had it sitting across his knees when I found him. Yeah, I saw the cuts on all the corpses, I said, smiling. But, funny enough, not a lot of bullet holes. Oh, shut up. Yeah, you know, swords suck. Shut up. Just as long as you realize how wrong you are. Oh, okay. What happened next? A portal opened up from where we are on the other side of the square, and, and two people came out of it first. One was kind of a young guy, dark hair, dressed in a gray suit. other one was a red-haired woman, some kind of an old-looking white gown. She had her arm around his. She looked around in the way that blind people do, so I'm guessing that she is. 
I locked eyes with both of them, and sure enough, they're like us. The guy didn't do much until the woman whispered something into his ear and pointed at me. Then the wolfman started coming out of that portal in a steady stream. How did you avoid getting caught up in the middle with him? I asked, pointing at the conflagration in the square. The jerk picked me up and threw me ten feet over this way, and by the time I stopped rolling, he was almost surrounded. I tried to shoot my way back in there, but there were just too many. I was getting surrounded by them, too. They started coming at us from all directions. Flesh is here somewhere, too, of course. Yeah, I know. The big guy I ran into along the way in kind of looked like one of her masterpieces. Do you think if we find her and her friends, we can stop the wolves? Maybe. I don't know. I... She drifted off, her gaze fixed on something over my shoulder. Casey? There's a car coming. They're driving around the square. I stuck my head up and watched as a black car with four doors drove around the square and swerved to a stop 40 feet away. The driver's side opened and a guy in a gray suit with dark hair got out and moved to open the back door on his side. The woman that emerged was dressed in a fancy dress, the kind you wear to a ball, and had long red hair that ended up in ringlets on her shoulders. She smiled at the young man as he kissed her hand. He leaned back, from, he leaned back up from doing so and looked towards the battle. I watched as his eyes flared green and three wolves detached from their place in the circling to join him where he and the woman stood. He moved around them and put his hands to his mouth. We know you're here. Show yourselves and we will spare this miserable, uncivilized city from wholesale slaughter. Otherwise, I will keep throwing bodies at our mutual friend until everyone is dead. Casey turned back to me. What's our play here? Cover me, I said, drawing my sword. You're not going out there without me. Listen, you're a better shot than me, and if they try anything, I'll get out of the way so you can mow them down. Alright? This is because I made fun of your sword, isn't it? I slapped the blade against one hand. <laughs> of course not. I got it from where we were sitting and started moving towards the group of our enemies. Good luck, I heard Casey whisper. They saw me coming. The man snapped his fingers, and the wolf stepped between himself and the woman, and me. I saw her start to whisper in the man's ear. Hail, O citizens of the kingdom. Nice evening for a little trip into the city. The young man smiled and stepped forward to join the wolves. His hair was dark and long, tied in a ponytail that fell down behind his back to nearly the waist. He was clean-shaven, had high cheekbones, and looked to be in reasonably good shape. He was immaculately dressed and had a gold tie-pin in the shape of a crown showing beneath his button-down jacket. He had an easy smile, almost friendly. I didn't like him from the start. Hello, Mick. Had any good dreams lately? I faltered a bit at that. I looked over at the woman and started to wonder. Seems you know me, or you think you do anyway. That's been a big mistake so far for a lot of your countrymen in the kingdom. The name's Jack, Nick, and you've never met anyone like me. I also don't have any illusions about what you can do, or what you're capable of. So what do you want, Jack? Well, for starters, the Lady Penny and I would like to ask you to bring Casey out so we can all have a nice little chat. I hate having a gun pointed at me as well, so you can tell her to stand down. He smiled again. Gosh, that sounds like a good deal, I said, raising my sword. Jack looked at my blade, smirked, and shrugged. We'll stop the assault, and spare the life of our friend in the square. I sense he may be tiring soon, and I'd hate to see what happens when his luck runs out and he's left to our tender... mercies. I looked over at the square, and I could see now that the wolves were starting to bunch together in the middle. The kingdom asshole was right, damn him. All right, Jack. I said, call off your dogs. His eyes flared, and the wolf circling the warrior all backed off. He lifted an eyebrow towards a point over my shoulder. <sighs> Casey, holster your gun. 
I said, hopefully loud enough for her to hear. We're all going to have a little chat. Chapter 16 We all walked over to the cafe where I crept through to get into the battle. I eyed the warrior in the middle as we passed. He was Asian by the cast of his features, and was indeed armored in a very ornate and unfamiliar way. His head was uncovered, and dark locks of hair spilled down over his forehead to cover a pair of steel-gray eyes that turned a brilliant green when they met my own. He nodded to Casey and I as he knelt, his hand holding a beautiful sword that pointed blade down to the earth. He was resting on it, clearly exhausted. I paid very close attention to the blade. If things went badly, I would need every weapon at my disposal to get us all out of here. Hell, things were already bad enough. I couldn't believe that I was sitting down to bargain with the kingdom. I doubt the stranger saw this coming. The woman, Penny, creeped me out because I truly didn't know what she could do. As opposed to Casey and I, these two didn't seem like they were gifted with powers that played out really in a physical confrontation. I was also worried that Casey would blow them both away at the first opportunity. I knew she trusted me, but I also knew how much she hated the kingdom. We reached a table that seemed suitable, although it was still occupied by slaughtered patrons. Here we are, said Jack pulling out the chair for Penny and kicking over a corpse. The wolves stood behind Jack and Penny on one side of the table, and Casey and I sat on the other side, putting the chair's previous occupant's corpses down onto the ground. Jack held up one hand and slowly pulled a revolver from his coat and laid it on the table. I looked at Casey and she nodded. We both put our guns on the table. Jack smiled. See, Mick? And here I thought there could be no understanding between us. Yeah, I said, and you just understand that Casey is fast enough to grab her gun and blow both of your heads off before your wolves could get to us, or for you to reach your own gun. That's my understanding here. Whether or not you choose to share that is up to you. Jack chuckled. There's really no need to be so ballsy here, Mick. We both know what's at stake here. Stop staring at me, witch! Casey growled. I looked across to Penny, and she turned to look away from Casey. She giggled. Oh, so in love and so deluded, Penny said. A pair made for the ages to die and live again. It must be so wonderful. Well, that's one hell of a gal you got there, Jack. Is she going to be doing that anymore? Let me handle this, darling. Penny nodded, giggling, and smiled at Casey. I saw Casey's hand twitch on her knee, and I knew that, if she had been armed, this discussion would be over, and Penny would be splattered all over the cafe. What is it you want, Jack? Jack's eyes glowed green for a moment, and one of the wolf's eyes did as well. It walked over and into the cafe itself. Coffee, Mick? If the wolf is making it, then no, I replied. I'm not a big fan of extra fiber in my coffee. Jack laughed. A moment later, the wolf came out with four cups of coffee on a tray, moving like a top-notch waiter instead of a monster, and set them down on the table. Interesting. That's you, isn't it, Jack? Inside the monster. We all have gifts, don't we? I will admit to being a bit of a control freak. From time to time. Okay, but you didn't answer my first question. What is it you want from us? Jack leaned forward and took a cup of coffee. He sipped at it and toasted me. Here's to you, Mick, and all of the awful things you do against your own people, you filthy traitor. What? Me? You guys are the ones trying to kill or capture us at every turn. Falkir, mutilated and left for dead, and now our sweet queen, Lethia, electrocuted and tossed to the earth like trash. What are you going to do for your encore, Mick? Sucker punch poor blind Penny here? You forgot that we also threw Falkir off the ship? A definite high point of my day. I hope he tucked and rolled on that one. I forget nothing, especially Lethia's injury. Do you know what she's trying to do for our kind? She's brought us together, and no one except yourself and your band opposes us. We're free. Can you say the same? Oh yes, Jack. Free to murder innocent people and destroy their worlds as you like. 
Your freedom is only possible through the denial of everybody else's. Jack grew angry and he pounded the table. At least we haven't sided with the one who has persecuted us all. Apostos has chased us through the world since we were all reborn. We ran from him and now you take your orders from him. Lethia has our interests in mind, Mick. Does Apostos? I think not. Who the hell are you talking about? Penny leaned over to Jack and whispered in his ear. Ah, you call him the stranger, Mick. How the hell does she know that? I said, pointing at Penny. She knows quite a lot. Jack said, running a finger through one of her red ringlets. It was disquieting to hear this. From their perspective, twisted as it was, I could see why I was at the top of their hit list. I certainly had earned their animosity, but the perspective could not be more opposed to the way I wanted to live. Yes, it was heartbreaking to never be able to stay in one place for long, but the kind of devastation that just one of us caused by staying put was bad enough. If all of the kingdom were in one place, what would happen to that world? I was certain that they could destroy it utterly, playing with their powers and causing havoc. Lethia would just use scapegoats like Apostos or myself to justify their abuses. I take it you're here to make an offer, then? Jack leaned over the table and looked me right in the eye. We don't want either of you, but we also don't want you to interfere with what we're doing. The deal is that, if you agree to abandon Apostos' cause and leave our friend in the square to us, then we will let you leave here alive. Furthermore, you will have amnesty from the kingdom, as long as you stay out of our affairs. You'll kill us otherwise, Casey said, her voice flat and deadly. That's right, Jack said, leaning back, taking another sip. Casey almost had her gun. I concentrated on Jack's coffee cup. What's your answer, Mick? I'm not afraid of your sword or her guns. Make your play. Who said anything about a sword? I'm going to kill you with a cup of coffee. <laughs> what? I swapped one of the hot cups of untouched coffee from the table into my free hand and threw it into his face. It smashed against his cheek, spilling coffee all down his nice, clean suit. He started sputtering and crying out in pain. My other hand came up from under the table with the warrior's sword and brought it down to Jack's head. Jack kicked back, overturning the table. Casey grabbed her gun before it hit the ground and shot one of the wolves down. I ducked as Penny brought out a small handgun from her gown and fired a few rounds in our direction. Blindly, but she was taking her shot. Casey moved quickly and tackled her. Another wolf went down, this time from my blade as it tried to jump over the table at me. As it died, I realized too late that its eyes were glowing. Damn! Jack leapt off the corpse of the wolf and landed a roundhouse that sent me back. He was faster and stronger than he let on. He landed on the table, and I swung the borrowed blade in a deadly arc that should have taken him off at the knees, but he jumped again. This time he vaulted off my shoulder and drew my own sword from its sheath. He stood before the fence that surrounded the patio and trolled the sword in with an expert hand. The world I come from is rather nasty, Mick, and the spots I got in that I couldn't talk my way out of, I fought my way through. Come then, let me show you what I learned. I was about to swap the sword back into my hand, but he was too quick. Before I could make it happen, he had struck two blows in quick succession that I barely stopped. I withdrew as he moved forward with blows that were not so strong, but bloody fast and precise. He was trying to disarm me. Wear down my sword arm until my parries got so weak that I could drop my guard. I felt his blade nick at my hands or wrist as he drove into me for the advantage. I grunted and fought back, managing to cut his left bicep with a combination feint and upward strike. He smiled and charged at me, bringing us up, face to face, swords locked. I should kill you for what you've done, Mick. But that is not part of the plan. Lucky me, I replied, pushing back a bit. Mm, not so much. Atomo, take your blade back, please. My confusion over his words became shock as I watched the warrior, who I now knew to be called Otomo, walk through the gate, his body translucent and ghostly. He moved towards me, and I pushed Jack away, trying to get clear. Otomo threw a transparent fist at me, which became much more real as it connected with my face. I felt my jaw shake, and a tooth came loose. 
Jack tossed him my sword, which he caught without even looking. It became translucent as well. I moved to strike at Jack, hoping to daze him with a blow and take him hostage. Otomo's blade whistled through the air, and a white-hot agony in my right arm told me that the sword had become very real. I could only grunt as, instead of my sword striking Jack, a fan of bloody droplets spattered his suit. I looked down to see my right form, my hand lying on the concrete, my fingers gripped in the fist. I swung at Jack. I fell to my knees as the blood gushed from my arm, and I became very dizzy. Casey, run! She turned from the standoff with Penny and saw me on the ground. She clocked Penny hard and turned the gun on Jack. Let him go, you bastards! No, Casey. I don't think we will. I'll make you a deal, however. You get to run along now, alive and kicking, and go back to Apostos. Tell him, if there's any more interference with the kingdom from either him or one of you, we'll make sure that Mick lives out the rest of his days in agonizing pain. Damn you all, Casey whispered and lowered her gun. Casey moved back to the entrance where the wolves parted to let her through, their eyes glowing with Jack's will. I'll come back for you, she said, her eyes hot and angry with tears. Go, Casey, go! Her face was a picture of indecision and anguish. I know, I whispered, smiling as best as I could at her through the pain. Just go. I could barely see her now. Everything was getting blurry and dark. I tried to move, but nothing was working. I began to feel a cold sensation creeping through my gut. Was I dying this time for real? Now then, I think it's time for you to say goodnight, Mick. What? My brain stopped processing the pain, and I gave up on the whole consciousness thing as Jack stepped on my stump. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of The Lost Tribe. A special thanks to Taylor again for giving me a hand this week. Tune in next week to see what happens to Mick as he finds himself in the grip of the enemy. 